All right, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I pray now that as we uh, embark upon the, uh, the task of looking into Your Word, digging into Your Word, pray, Lord, that uh, You would work through me, that You would give uh, uh, clarity. Lord, we thank You for Your, your living Word um, that works within us, uh, that convicts us, that encourages us, that um, takes away the, the, the rough spots. We just thank you for your, your living word. And that in the scriptures we have, uh, we have a word like uh, none other. That though there's portions that are thousands of years old, they speak to us today. Uh, convict today, and we just thank you for that. Lord, I pray that uh, as we uh, consider these things, that we would be open and ready to uh, to hear your word. Pray that we would have hearing ears. Pray that uh, you would work in us through your word to conform us to the image of your Son. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your, uh, the work of your Spirit that works within us to convict us of truth, uh, to work in the midst of our, our weaknesses. We pray that, uh, that in all things that you would be uh, glorified. Thank you again for this time. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, you can turn over to James chapter 1. We will be starting in uh, verse 19, and this evening we'll finish this, this portion. I've uh, coupled this portion together from verse 19 to verse 27, and I think just uh, as a little bit of uh, preparation as we look at this, this book this morning, I think it's uh, fitting just to kind of run through some background really quick of the, of the author. The author is uh, by most con uh, considered by most to be uh, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, half-brother because uh, they both, you know, marries both of their mothers, but Joseph is not. So the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, James was not a believer. And we, uh, we actually just looked at a section of that when we were going through Luke. Uh, and he most likely did not become a believer until after the resurrection uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to James, uh, and it's probably at that time that he became a believer. Uh, we can read about in the book of Acts how James was a, a key individual in the early church. He was one of the, the leaders in the church of Jerusalem and was part of just some of the uh, decision-making process there. We see when uh, when Paul finally gets to Jerusalem and they have the Jerusalem Council where they're talking about um, how to deal with some of the differences between Jews and Gentiles. James is part of that. Uh, so we see that he was a, a big part in the early church. Another um, 
thing to note about this, this book is it's probably one of the earliest of the New Testament books as far as when it was written. Uh, most conservative scholars would put it somewhere between uh, 45 and 62 uh, when it was written. Uh, not after 62 because that's a pretty solid date of when James was martyred. So that's why it's you know, between 45 and 62. Uh, his audience, you can see, is in uh, verse 1. He tells us who his audience is. He is writing to the 12 tribes uh, that are in dispersion, that they're scattered. You know, other translations might have scattered abroad. So he's writing to this group of people. Um, they are new uh, Jewish believers, because again, this is early on in the church, so they're newly uh, saved Jewish believers. The, the scattering may be related to the, the martyrdom of Stephen. We know that there was a kind of a dispersion at that point in time because uh, Stephen was stoned for the proclamation of the gospel. And that was probably around like 36 when that happened. Uh, so they're dispersed abroad. The only church that they know is the church in Jerusalem because that's the only church that there is. That's where God established the first church. And so they're all dispersed abroad. Uh, they've gone back to their their homelands, and just another, another element to this is they probably are Jews from all around because they came for Passover. Uh, they stayed on to Pentecost, which is a very common thing, right? Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, and if you traveled any length, any distance traveling back then, took some time, so they would just stay on through Pentecost. So they are part of the early church, and James is writing to them so that they may know how to live, how to live out this new faith, uh, this new uh, way of life, uh, faith in Jesus. And so his, his theme is a theme of what it looks like to live out the Christian life. And as you, as you read through James, uh, he writes in a very distinct manner to that of Paul. Paul kind of front loads most of his books with doctrine, and then he deals with how to live out that doctrine. Whereas James puts them both together, he brings up a, a situation or a scenario, and then he develops the doctrine within that situation or scenario. And that's one of the things that we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of James, he, uh, he does not hold back. He does not ease us into anything. Um, and as, as I think of the book of James, I think, I think of it as something along the lines of um, he just draws the two-edged sword and just pierces us through. He just, he just lets us have it in the book of James. He doesn't, doesn't hold back. He just presents it as it is, uh, and he jumps right into it. And by jumping right into it, I mean he gives this brief introduction. He's talking to Jews that are dispersed. He's talking to Jews scattered around. He's, they're under persecution. We learn about some of the persecution that the Jews that have been scattered, we learn about that later on in the book, that they're actually they're scattered. They're working in a different place. They're getting ripped off. Uh, they're working for rich landowners, and those landowners aren't paying them. And so they're actually, some of them have actually died, and they're starving. So they're under pretty... Uh, severe persecution, and he just jumps right in to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So he just jumps right into it. He knows the issue that they're under, and he jumps right into, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, during difficulty, you obey the Word of God. So he just jumps right into it, and that's one thing that I, I love about the book of James is the, 
just the practicality of it. Uh, it's very practical. It, uh, it somewhat reads like the book of Proverbs in that sense, that it's, it's very practical. And I think if you were to you know, read through the, the Sermon on the Mount and then read the book of James, you will see many parallels as they deal with very, very many of the same topics. So that's just a, a quick overview of, of the book, and I think it helps in kind of just establishing just some, some background to, to know uh, where James is coming from. That, and it's a, it's a good hermeneutical practice that we've, that we've learned, right? You've got to know some of the background. Further, by way of an introduction, um, you see that the title that I, I've given this is uh, Authentic Palpable Faith. And that's the, the title that I, as I've taught this through, through with the Pathfinder kids, that's the title that I've given them. And by authentic, I mean genuine or real, because that's what he's dealing with in this, in this book. What does genuine or real faith look like? And the word, the word palpable just means that you're able to um, measure it, you're able to discern uh, what it is, you're able to uh, touch it or handle it in that sense. So that's what he's dealing, dealing with, is what does faith look like on a day-to-day -day basis? How do you live out your faith? And again, these, these are Jews that are scattered abroad. The only church that they know of is in Jerusalem. They're out in their new place, and it's how do we live? And he is going to go through, this is how you live. You live out the Word of God. Uh, so that's, that's where he's, he's heading within this uh, particular passage. Because the, because the, the issue and the, the theme of what he's dealing with is what does genuine faith look like, uh, it becomes a book that really sets itself up so that we can examine ourselves. We can examine how we live in the light of what he is saying to examine whether our faith is true real or genuine? Is it a faith that we are living out from day to day? Uh, is it our way of life? Is the Word of God our, our rule for living? I think just to, to clear up one thing, just one point of clarity, um, sometimes when you might read commentation on James or, or hear somebody speak on it, uh, there's some confusion about how James uses terms and how Paul uses terms. And I think even throughout history, there's, you know, there's theologians that we know of that didn't particularly like the book of James because of that. Um, they use vocab different. So when you come to words in James, you cannot think of it as the way that Paul uses it because James is going to use it a little bit differently. Paul has his way of using words just as James does. Paul is clear in his writing that salvation uh, is not by means of work or not by means of anything that we do. James has a different point, although he's talking about the same area. His point is that true saving faith has with it fruit, and those fruits would be works. So, there's been a confusion in history because of those things, but they're, they're talking from, uh, I guess, in, in one sense, it's, it's two sides of the, the same coin, right? One is making sure that it's clear that works do not save, and the other one's making it clear that true faith has with it 
evidence which is shown forth in fruit or works. So if we are genuinely saved, if we have come to faith, then we have a new nature, and in that new nature, we follow God, whom we could not follow before. So that's just to, to clear up some of the confusion as there's some historical confusion based on those points. One thing I also find interesting about uh, this particular passage that we're going through is there is, a, there is a sense in which it is probably one of the easiest passages for us to understand. It's not in any way confusing, especially when you look at the main drive or the main point, and that is to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. There's very little that is confusing about that. It's very straightforward. It's very direct. But the issue becomes the application of that particular truth. I think there's probably no other passage that I say to myself than this particular passage right here. I constantly remind myself that I have to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. That even when it is difficult... God's word must be obeyed. Oftentimes, because of our, our desire for self-preservation, which is really just you know our, our selfishness, uh, we will not obey because it's easier. But we are to be those that do the word and not just hear it. And so with that in mind, let's, uh, let's read through this passage. Uh, this portion of Scripture, as, as I said, is, is James just drawing that two-edged sword and, and piercing us through. I think this passage, along with many in Scriptures, it's, it's one of those passages, as you read it, you have to be uh, prepared for some uh, loving personal uh, damage, right? He, like I said, he lets us have it in this passage and he exposes uh, our sinfulness, so let's, uh, let's read through this portion together, starting in verse 19 of James chapter 1. He writes this, uh, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at his natural face and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this one shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So this morning, as we, as we walk through those verses, we're going to be looking at uh, 
four actions the true believer exhibits towards the Word of God. So four different actions that the true believer exhibits towards the Word of God in our response to the Word of God. In the first, uh, we'll look at verses 19 and 20, and that is a readiness toward the Word of God. And I think just to, to clarify uh, why I landed on calling this a readiness towards the Word of God, I think it's, uh, it's, it's fitting just to develop some of what is going on within this text. Um, verse 19, uh, depending on what you have for a translation, uh, I have the New American Standard. It says, this you know, you might have know this, or you might have uh, wherefore, or therefore, or something along those lines, depending on what translation you have. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter. This is, this is a place where there's a textual variant, but it functions in the same way functions in the same way in that it causes us to look back. So we are to, to look back. And what is it that he's specifically calling us to look back to? I think uh, the immediate context here is we can pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 1. So we're to look back to this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. So he's calling us to look back to that. This is what we are to know. This is what we are to consider. And uh, the book of James uh, builds very, very well. So we've actually built a couple of stages up to this point. So this do not be deceived is looking back to uh, sin the source of sin, that sin is not from God, that God is not tempted by sin and God does not tempt with sin. And his explanation of that is that God gives what is only good and perfect gifts. And then within this passage, he also focuses on what is the chief of those good and perfect gifts. And you can see it in uh, verse 18. It is his work in bringing us forth by his word of truth. That is the chief of the good gifts that God has given to us. That idea that he has there of bringing forth, it is, a, it is um, the metaphor that he's using. It's like a birth metaphor. So bring forth is to like bring forth a, like a child. So it's a, it's a, he's using it in a metaphorical way so that we come to the understanding that it is the Word of God that has given us new life. It is the Word of God that has made us new. God in His work, according to His good pleasure, has used His Word out of His goodness to make us new. It is the transforming Word that is in the immediate context here. So that's what he's building off of. And I think just, again, as a, as a point of clarity, so that you see, you know, basically as a, as a surveyor, it's, you got to show your work of how you arrived at something. So I'm trying to show you how I arrived at where I did here. So that's what we're developing right now. It'll make sense in a second. So you'll see that in, in what James is doing here, he's building off this idea of that word that has made us new. Verses 19 and 20, some, you know, uh, specifically 19, yeah, 19 and 20, they seem kind of out of place. 
uh, but he has couched what appears to be a known proverb in the middle of his teaching on the Word of God. And we'll develop that in a second, but in verse 18, he talks about the Word of Truth. In verse 21, he refers to the Word implanted, or the Word which is able to save. And in verse 25, he talks about the perfect law, and he also refers to it as the law of liberty. So within this, this passage, his focus is on the Word of God. And I want to develop that because he has taken this, what seems to be a proverb, and he has jammed it in, sandwiched it in between two topics that are the Word of God. So I don't want to take what seems to be a proverb and divorce that from the context. So when he is saying uh, in verse 19, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, the context of that is within the context of the Word of God. Because, like I said, he's got the Word of God before that he's talking about, he's building off that, and then he develops further through talking about the Word of God. So as we think through that, I want to think through it within the context of the Word of God. And as I said in my outline, I I referred to this as a readiness towards the Word of God. So in our readiness towards the Word of God, he gives us these uh, these three things that, you know, again, it seems like a proverb. And he says, um, he says this, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we'll stop there for now. In the English, the, the, word, the word but is a little bit uh, unusual, which is why I think that it's probably some sort of proverbial statement that he's put in there that people would know. Because if you set it off with but, he's referring to something that they would have known. But for us in just English, the, the word but there doesn't necessarily, necessarily flow. It almost sounds like a contrast in a sense. But he is, he is using what they, have, what they know and he is developing that. So when it comes to within the context of the word of God, what does it mean to be quick to hear. One translator uh, translated it this way. He translated it as hurry up and listen. And I think uh, a a summary statement for what he is is encapsulating here is uh, pursue every opportunity to be under the Word of God. So rightly knowing that the Word of God is the Word that has brought us forth, that it is the Word that has given us spiritual life, we are to pursue every opportunity uh, to sit under good teaching that rightly divides the Word, uh, good preaching where the Word is rightly divided. We are to make efforts to be attentive to the Word. So, it's quick to hear, quick to be in a position where the Word of God is developed such that we are sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. When we think of the, the Word of God, what we have is we have God's actual communication to us about Himself, about what He is like, about what He desires So it's only fitting that we take every opportunity to hear from God. Is there any communication that we could have that is more relevant 
Is there any communication that we could have that should, in that sense, captivate us more? Right? It's the it's a communication to us from the Creator God, the one that gives us life and breath and all things. And so we should be quick to be in a position where we're under the teaching of the Word. We should have that readiness to receive the Word. As I've thought through this passage, I've thought through how my time in the Word looks. What does it look like? And remember that I said that you know the way that James has structured this, it calls for self-examination, right? Are we doing what the Word says? We are to examine ourselves. So I've considered what my time in the Word looks like and, and uh, ask you to consider what your time in the Word looks like. Is our time in the Word such that we are actually in the Word so that we can know the God of the Word better? Is our time in the Word such that we are seeking to know what it is that He would have us do? Or is it like times, uh, like I've had it as times in my life, is it just so that you know, we can basically check the box or advance the bookmark further? We can, we can be like that when it comes to the Word of God, but He is calling us to be quick to hear. And what He's saying is we have to have that readiness and be prepared for the Word of God and not approach it in such a fickle or irreverent way. We should not be reading the Word just so that we can check the box or when we open it up on our phone that it's advanced further. Our time in the Word should be so that we know the God of the Word. We must check to see if we are those that live by bread alone or if we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How do we actually live when it comes to the Word? Uh, I read from, from the passage in Luke this morning because he deals much with this same topic. What does living in true faith look like? And we see in that passage that the one that has true faith is the one where the seed fell into the good soil. These are the ones that have heard the word and in an honest and good heart hold fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Do we hold fast to the word? Do we take advantage of the times to sit under the word of God or the times of our own reading to hold fast to what is there, even when it is not easy. Uh, like I said in the, in the beginning, that there's times that we fall prey to that which is easy, right? And it's for our own selfish reason or our own selfish ease or, or whatever it may be, or our own selfish preservation. We are to make haste to get into the Word or to get to the hearing of the Word. And I think we ought to say, along with, with Peter, we ought to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So next under this, this, this category of a readiness, uh, James writes this, that we are, be, we are to be slow to speak. And again, to not remove this from the context of, of the Word of God, 
What is he saying when, when he's saying we are to be slow to speak? I think this is clarified as we look further in the book of James, but I also think that the, the way that he is using this is he's using this proverbial type statement to keep it purposely broad, right? Because it's an application to the word. So what does it look like in your life to be slow to speak in application to the word? Uh, certainly we have an illustration right in the book of James where he says in chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that you shall be, you shall incur a stricter judgment. Anytime I, I teach or I come up here, I always have that in my mind, that God holds us accountable for what we say, and that we have to have a reverence in bringing forth the Word of God. We have to be careful. We have to endeavor to be clear because we are saying thus saith the Lord when we bring forth the word and that is a very serious thing we can think of the you know in the in the prophets the the shepherds of Israel God says that they said that I said this when I did not send them to say this and it was a very serious accusation to say something that the Lord did not say so there's certainly an application of that that when it comes to the word of God we need to have that proper respect and that proper reverence that we are handling it correctly that we are handling it in a way that honors the text uh, certainly this would be another plug for the hermeneutics class right that we got to approach it in the right way we've got to have the word within the context we got to have it as God put it forward not what we think it means it's what God designed for it to mean so certainly when it comes to slow to speak we are to do that I think at times too another application of this is I've thought of that you know sometimes we're asked a biblical question and we have a fear to say well I don't know I'll have to look into that or think about that but we just answer off the cuff you know there's nothing wrong with saying I know where the answer is Give me some time to search that answer out so that I answer biblically and accurately rather than coming up with our own philosophy, our own life experience. I think that's an application of what he's saying here of being slow to speak. I think another way we could, we could look at this is how do we respond in a situation in which somebody brings the word of God to us and says hey I see this in your life how do we respond to that are we slow to speak then do we listen do we take it in even even in an instance where they might be bringing it to to us with a wrong motive or with a wrong perspective do we have that readiness towards the word of God that we are willing to listen because it's God's word that's being brought to us or do we quickly come to our defense? Our own defense, that is. When the Word of God is brought to us and we're doing something that is contrary to the Word of God, do we come up with, uh, you know, at, at times we can come up with Christian slogans that I have a piece about it, when in fact the Word of God does not direct us to do those things? can't have a peace about it in that situation is contrary to the word of God it doesn't matter how you feel about it in one sense it matters what God's word says and that's how we are to live 
So this idea of slow to speak is having the proper reverence and respect for the word and being careful in how we bring forth the word when we speak of the word. And lastly, he has slow to anger. And with this, he offers a little bit further explanation in verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This slow to anger, I think, can relate to the, the previous, that is, uh, slow to speak. And it has to do with how we respond to the word of God when it is brought to us. The word used for anger here is a word that means, uh, basically comes from like the root to, to swell or puff up. So it's not like the explosive type of anger that is used within the scriptures. But it is more of the underlying anger uh, or like a resentment or uh, more of an anger that is in your mind as a disposition. So when it comes to the word of God, do we have the right mindset toward the word of God? Or is there a, or there's a, a resentment that can come forward when it comes to the word of God? And again, I bring back to the thought of when somebody comes to the comes to you and they might come to you with the word of God. Maybe they're coming in an inappropriate way or not in the right manner. Maybe it's accusatory. How do we respond to the word that is brought to us at that point in time? Do we have that resentment or anger? Do we quickly slap a label on them along the lines of hypocrite and we're not willing to accept the word of God? Even if the source is not a source that is bringing it forth in the correct way, are we to consider the word of God that is brought to us? And the answer is yes, right? It is the word of God. Also, as I think through this, this idea of slow to anger, we can think of probably in our, our dealings with, with people, we can think of how they might respond to certain doctrines within the scriptures. I can think back to um, just the total change in someone's countenance when you speak with them, when you mention a doctrine like election. You know, do we bristle when we hear certain truths from the word of God? Or do we yield to those truths and submit to the word of God? Uh, certainly in our day and age, we can see that uh, there's certainly a resentment toward a, a literal six-day creation. There's certainly a resentment when we say he made them male and female in the beginning. There's certainly resentments to those truths. And so it is this slow to anger is how do we respond to the word of God when it is brought before us? Is it a yielding? Is it so that we can be corrected, so that we can be changed? Or is it such that, uh, you know, we bristle, that we become defensive? In verse 20, James offers a little bit further explanation there. He says, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, that, that, that phraseology, the righteousness of God, that could, that could mean a few different uh, things. It could be the righteousness that is God's character or God's standard of who he is or it could be the righteousness that God has required and I think contextually it, it I would I would lean towards it's the righteousness that God requires 
So the righteousness that God requires within us, when we stand in opposition to his word and are angry, or we're angry as somebody brings the word to us and we don't like how they did it, uh, we're not achieving the righteous standard that God's required. It certainly would not live up to uh, his character, but I think he's talking about the righteous standard that God requires. So it doesn't produce that because that's actually contrary to what the one of the purposes of the scriptures, right? We can read that there's many purposes to scriptures, and one of the purposes is so that we can be trained in righteousness. So if we are not willing to accept the word, if we're not willing to yield to the word, then we're not going to achieve the righteousness that God requires. We're not going to get there. And again, as we, as we think through these things and as we examine ourselves according to these things, there's only two possible outcomes that we can have. And by that I mean when we look into this passage, this portion of Scripture, whether we're doing the Word and, or just hearing the Word, there's two possible outcomes. We look at this, this test that he puts forward of what genuine faith looks like, and if we fail the test, then the possible scenario is that we must repent and believe unto salvation. And if we are believers, the only other possibility is that we must repent unto obedience. Those are the only options that we have with this passage. It's either repent and believe unto salvation and begin your walk of faith with Christ or renew the walk of faith. Repent unto obedience. And that's what I mean by James just, he lets us have it, right? He, there's no middle ground here. You're either following or in obedience. You're either living according to the the word or you're not there's no middle ground there's no neutrality Um, he says further on in the book he says that friendship with the world is hostility towards God so if we're living according to worldly ways or worldly thinking and not according to the word of God we have set ourselves as enemies of God that's why I say there's only there's only two options we either need to come to Christ in belief, repenting for salvation, or we need to repent unto obedience. He does not leave any other room. So that's the, our readiness to receive the word. Are we ready in the sense that we are respectful, uh, reverent with the word? We are quick to hear the word. We want to be like uh, Martha who sat at the feet of Jesus. She wanted to hear what he had to say, uh, in a sense, hanging on every word that came from his mouth. Are we like that? Or do we not understand the gravity of what we have in the word of God before us? Are we slow to speak, which would also be that, that same type of of reverence and then uh, slow to anger how to how do we respond to the word of God do we have that readiness when we come to the word of God 
Verse 21, um, this, this portion in my outline, I call this a reception of the word of God. So this is uh, number two, reception of the word of God. And here he's going to tell us how we receive the word of God. What, it, what does it look like to be a, those that receive the word of God? I'll read verse 21. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So how do we receive the word of God? And he's going to give us a number of points here on how we receive the word of God. We see that we receive the word of God with, with purity. We receive the word of God with meekness. Uh, some of your translations might have humility. And we receive the word of God with uh, a proper understanding of what the word of God is. And I wonder, have you ever thought about or approached the word of God in this way that you have considered how you are approaching the word of God and that you're at approach the word of God with, with purity. When we go to read the word of God or sin under the teaching of the word of God, do we prepare ourselves in that way for a reception? Meaning that do we confess sin? Do we pray that God may reveal himself? or his will within his word? Uh, do we prepare ourselves in that way? I mean, it can be as simple as something that was instilled to me when I was young, is um, before we come to church, you know, go to bed at a reasonable hour. That was instilled to me when I was young. Be prepared, be ready. Um, you know, certainly things happen in life, but as much as within our power, we should be ready and prepared to come to church. We should examine ourselves before we are here to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, to, to minister to one another. Uh, whatever it may be, there should be a, a time of preparation beforehand to consider those things and be ready. So when I say he says to, to receive the Word of God with purity, I get that from where he says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Uh, he has front-loaded this in the sentence. Uh, the main verb here, the main imperative, is to receive. But he is front-loaded with this idea that we see all throughout Scripture, which is this idea of the putting off and the putting on. Uh, the idea here is, the, the, and the picture that he is painting, is to put off uh, these dirty outer garments. That's what he's saying, to put off. Uh, James is using a word here, the word filthiness. Uh, He's the only one that uses that, so there's, there's really no other New Testament writer that, that uses this word that we can check it uh, to see how they've used it. But it, it seems to mean a general uh, dirtiness or griminess, so it fits with that, that, that concept of putting off. It's putting off that outside dirty layer of clothing. Put it aside, cast it off. And like I said, this is a, this is a thing that comes up in scriptures often. Uh, Paul uses it. You know, put this on, put this off, put on the new man, put off the old man. There's a, it happens uh, often in Scripture, and it's the idea of laying aside that which is a hindrance. And then the second, the second phraseology he uses um, are all that remains of wickedness. And this, this type of wickedness that he's talking about here is, is a wickedness in our thinking. And so I think as a, as a direct application here, he, it's going back to some of those things that we've already seen where he's talking about 
you know, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's certainly some of those things that, that hinder us in being ready to receive what God has for us. Uh, one commentator writes this. Uh, I've basically paraphrased it, but he says, uh, do we conduct, conduct ourselves in such a way that we are preparing good soil for the divine seed of the word? Are we preparing ourselves in that way so that we are ready to receive the word? Uh, and that requires that we put away sinful thinking, sinful actions. It requires that we come to the word uh, and confess our sin. We come to the word before God with a desire to yield to the word of God, with a desire to be submitted to the word of God. And this goes back to the, the you know, the parable of the, the soils once again. Are we that good soil that is going to yield fruit? Because it is the good soil that received the word, that received the seed, and the seed sprouted and matured and yielded fruit. Uh, there's many other passages that, that deal with this, the same idea of our preparation and our readiness to receive the word of God. Uh, Peter deals with it, and I'll just read that real quick in my notes. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and the glory of the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So he's using that same put off, put on uh, type phraseology. And he's saying to put off some of those, those same things, that those same uh, sinful thinking, sinful attitudes, selfishness, self-preservation, whatever it may be that causes us to not be ready to receive the word. Uh, next, he says to receive the word with, with meekness. Uh, many translations might have humility. I think a better translation of this is probably gentleness or meekness. It's that idea of that yielding to the word of God, that we must yield to the word of God. We must be ready to submit to what God has to say. It's, a, it's our disposition of submission to what it is that God would have for us within his word. Are we fully submitted to the word of God and ready to yield to it? Do we have cemented in our minds that what we have before us is the word of God? And as I was thinking through this, this idea of, of, of preparation and how we prepare, um, made me think of, you know, how uh, a young man is when he has an interest in getting to know a lady, right? He prepares. 
He checks to make sure his clothes are clean, does the sniff test, you know, combs his hair, brushes his teeth, you know, things that he might not do when he's around his friends. Uh, he has an eagerness to prepare so that he is ready to get to know this young lady, right? He, he puts time and effort into it. And as we think about how we approach the word of God, we approach it in that way that we, prepared our, we prepare ourselves so that we are ready to get to know God. Do we come in such a way that we putting aside our sinful thinking, our sinful attitudes, our autonomy, whatever it may be, do we approach the word of God in that way with that preparation that we want to get to know God? We want to know what he has to say. And we'll look at uh, one more here before we close up a first portion of this. And I refer to this as receiving the word with understanding. And by this, I mean, he has given us a couple of descriptions of what the word of God is. He refers to it as the word implanted and also the word that is able to save our souls. Now, the word implanted here, that this word um, is actually used in Luke chapter 8 in the parable of the soils. It is the seed that goes into the ground, and it basically means um, newly germinated. So it's the seed that's gone into the ground that has started to sprout up. So it is the word that God has used to save us. It is the word that God has uh, put within us as believers, so it is the word that is implanted in us. Uh, some translations might have engrafted there or planted, but that's the idea. That is the word that God has used to make us new. It is the word of God that he has put within us so that we might know him. So we receive the word of God with understanding, knowing what the word is. It is that word that makes new. It is the word that brings about new life. It is the word that is the word that brought us to new birth. It is, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it is God's power unto salvation. And we see that it is the word that is able to save us to the uttermost. By this, uh, I, I am referring to what he says here, it is the word that is able to save our souls. It is that word that started us on our um, journey of following Christ, by making us new, by changing our nature so that we could follow Christ. And it is that word that brings us through all of our lives because it is the more sure word in which God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. And by that, I mean, it's, it's the word doesn't tell us how to, you know, how to fix the, the broken laptop, but it tells us how we are to conduct ourselves as we fix the broken laptop, right? It's, we are not to do it in anger as we might. So it gives us all that we need for life and godliness. So do we approach it like that, that it is the word that saves us to the uttermost? It starts us on our journey with Christ, our walk of faith, and it brings us through the end as the word that sustains us along the way that gives us directions for how we are to conduct ourselves in life. I was thinking about how the 
not to not to belittle the word of God, but I was thinking that the word of God is so much like road signs in our lives, right? We look at a road sign and might say danger ahead, so there's warning. We can look at a sign that says, you know, refreshment ahead, so we have, you know, an idea of what we have in store for us. Uh, it tells us that speed trap ahead or whatever, some of those signs say that, that uh, might cause us to, to slow down. Uh, it might tell us that there's something that we want to see, a landmark ahead, something beautiful that we can look forward to, that we can see. And so much of the Word of God is, is like that. And when we approach the Word of God, do we understand and, and recognize that just the, the great benefits there are into the Word of God, right? It warns us. It encourages us. It tells us of dangers ahead. It tells us of beautiful things that await us. It does so many of those things in our lives. So when we approach the Word of God, do we approach it in that way? Are we ready to receive the Word of God, understanding that we approach it with, with purity, with meekness, and with a proper understanding? So I ask, uh, I ask, I ask you to, to think, as, as I have asked myself, is, is how are we doing in these things? How do we do with it? these uh, particular items? How do we approach the Word of God? Do we approach it with the proper reverence that we ought to? Do we see it as a task to come to the Word of God at times? Admittedly, I'd say I do at times. And we have to correct that in our thinking. We have to come to God and, and confess that. And praise God that he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess that. Do we come to the word with the proper understanding that it is God's revelation of himself to us? That it is God's revelation of how it is that he wants us to live. Outside of the word of God, we have no means other than creation of knowing him. But in creation, we do not have the personal relationship. We do not see clearly all of his attributes, his compassion, his loving kindness toward us. James is going to move on in the next verse to the, the verse that really, really hits. And it is this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. And how do we line up with that? Do we sit under the teaching of the word so often? And I was thinking about this is, do we sit under the teaching of the word of God and we sit there and we might be emotionally charged we might have in our thinking that we, we need to know more of the Word of God. We might have in our thinking that I have to change this or I have to correct this. And then I think at times that we, we think that and we're charged up and we prayerfully sit under the teaching or the preaching of the Word of God. And then no sooner does the, the sound of the, the letter N from the final amen ring off our ears that we are wondering about lunch. 
When we approach the word of God, we must have in our minds and in our thinking, and again, cemented in our thinking, that it is God's communication to us about himself and about how we are to live. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only who delude themselves. And tonight we'll, uh, we'll pick up there uh, uh, tonight and start to develop through that particular passage when we're going to talk about our responsiveness to the word of God. And uh, James gives us a, a great illustration in that. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the goodness that you demonstrate towards us in giving us your word. Lord, I pray that we would be those that, that understand, that recognize what your word is, that is the revelation of yourself to us, that it details how we are to live, Pray that we would not be those that are dull in hearing, but that we would hear with an ear to do. Lord, this uh, this this portion is is not uh, is not confusing in any way. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers. But we struggle with doing. Lord, I pray that. Uh, Help us to purpose to be those that do what your word says. That we would be those that stand firm on what your word says, even when it is not easy. Pray that we would be mindful hearers. That we would do as you have instructed. Pray that uh, you would give us the the meekness to be yielded to your word, your communication. Pray that you would give us the, the desire to be ready for your word. And we just thank you for your, your great goodness in your communication to us. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.